Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, June 18th, 2023 called A Map to Find His People, Devoted to the Word, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So there's an outline if you want to follow along, uh, if you want to jot any notes. This is part two in a five-part piece. Um, A couple months ago or whatever it was, I did a 10-point sermon and you all despaired. And this is now breaking it into five chunks and um, exploring it a little bit more. Pastor Chris, by the way, is in Chicago. He's visiting his father on Father's Day. So the family's able to be there. And so uh, we wish everybody happy Father's Day. If you're joining us from Assisted Living, we're delighted that you're with us too. We're in Acts chapter 2. And really, I need to, I want to make sure I read those. It wasn't one of the readings. Thanks, Wendy, for honoring the word today. Appreciate that. And, um, and again, these are those words in Acts chapter 2. Last week, I talked about the words that led up to it. Peter's preaching on Pentecost. It says they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children. That was the foundation, was repentance and baptism, the gifts of baptism and the faith that the Holy Spirit delivers, right? That was the foundation of the community. This is then what that community looks like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the, uh, and then what's the next one? To the fellowship. Yep, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that's really the list that we're going through. What is those marks of that Christ community? What does that Christ community look like? And it's just miraculous. They, they saw signs and wonders. They were generous with one another. When people had need, they sold stuff and they put their resources together to help people that were in need. And it said um, daily God was adding to their number those who were being saved. It's a miraculous chapter in the history of the church. And so, again, I, I don't know that this is prescriptive, that it's saying, hey, every Christian church has to look like this in every iteration and every community throughout all ages. But boy, I, don't you think we have some things to learn here? I think. I think there's some significant things to learn here. So based on that repentant, forgiven community... With the gifts of baptism and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, what did they look like? We're starting here. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Just two points in this sermon. Stunning, right? I know. Two points. So there's an old story that goes, so dads, this one's for you. I have a point with this story, though. It's an old story that goes about a guy who's walking through the grocery store. And you know how it is when you're shopping. You'll pass by people like Five times, it seems like, as you go through the aisles. And so you'll see the same person pushing. Anyway, there's a dad with his three-year-old son, and the three-year-old son is being a pill. And the, the little boy is, is uh, begging for candy bars and toys and, you know, whatever. You know the story. And as he's going along, he's just being a pest, 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 pest. dad. And, and here's what dad says as he's going along. That he overhears the dad saying... Um, He's saying, now, Billy, uh, this won't take long. This won't take long. And Billy, just calm down. We'll be done in a little. And so they'd pass by then the next aisle. And the little boy's volume is getting more intense, more whiny. And he says, now, Billy, we're almost done. Just settle down. Billy, settle down. And just low voice, calm voice. 
And then they go through, and as they get to the checkout, now the kid is like beside himself yelling for a candy bar because they're all sitting there on the checkout, right, as they go. And he's just yelling, and here's the dad. He says, Billy, we'll be in the car in just a minute. Everything will be okay. And the, vice, the person who's watching this is just impressed, just beyond words. You can hardly believe it. The guy's patience. This is amazing. And so, he's, um, he's, he, so he follows the guy out to the parking lot, and the little boy is now screaming his head off. And, here's what, and, the day, and he heard him say, Billy, we're done. It's going to be okay. We're going to get in the car now. And he tapped the pa- this, this patient father on the, on the shoulder, and he said, Sir, I just could not help but watch how beautifully you handled little Billy. You were amazing. And the dad said, His name is Wesley. I'm Billy. <laughs> I'll tell you something, though. I switched this around. I told that at the beginning in the welcome in, at the last service. And I said, I really, as I thought about it, I said, I want to say that now. Because you know what's interesting to me about that is how many dads wouldn't hang in there through that? You know, that's, not, that's a heavy lift. And moms, you know this. You put up with it more than we do. That's a heavy lift. Whiny kids, insistent kids, it's the end of your rope, hard days. It can be tough, can it? And hanging in there is a pretty special gift, hanging in there. And the word I want to use for that is commitment. You know we live in a commitment-averse culture right now? I don't know how many of you are involved with agencies like this. And frankly, I, I have never been like a member of the Kiwanis or the Rotary. Like the Kiwanis comes here and they give a, a um, what's it called, the award? Hope for America Award. I think it's fifth graders who get it. It's neat. Um, I had members of the Kiwanis in Seattle and Portland who would invite me or Rotary or Seroptimist. Are you familiar with those words? Or the Lions Club as they collect glasses, right? That was their big thing. Um, you had, here in Pocatello, right, we got Civitans. We got Pocatello Chiefs. I mean, there's a whole bunch. And then you can even branch it out to other things like Boy Scouts. You know, I mean, I know it's an agency for kids, but it's kind of the design is to create young men who are, have a servant's heart, not just all about themselves. I mean, there's part of that. And it's in massive decline, just massive decline. Um, YMCA, I, I grew up with that, the YMCA, um, just massive decline. And so, and I know that all of these agencies, maybe it's not true here in Pocatello, but there's a constant worry and a hunt for younger members. Can we get that next group to invest in their community and commit, right, to commit and be involved in that way? I mean, he, if, even in our own denomination, uh, our women's group is called LWML, which we always have to translate for people. What, what, what does that mean? LW, Lutheran Women's Missionary League, right? Our women's in mission, right? Living out the mission of the church. And, um, and, and so there's a constant thing. How can we get younger women to be involved? We're, you know, we used to have 12 small groups of women. Now we have two. How do we do it? And, and even in the church itself. The challenge for volunteers and commitment, right? Teach Sunday school, lead a small group, serve in the nursery. It's a heavy lift. It's hard, man. It's hard today. So the word commitment is almost, it's a verse, a kind of a commitment of verse. We do studies in generations, like the commitment to marriage. Do you know, these are a little bit devastating to me. 20% of Gen Z and 
I think it's 12% of millennials believe they will never find a lifelong marriage partner. Never. There's, there's no chance. There's no way that commitment could ever actually happen. Um, when you talk about statistics about marriage, you know, and about um, staying committed to people, I got a document here, and this is not meant to depress you. It's meant to be, I'm being honest with you. This is a challenge in the culture in which we live. George Barna is a church data guy, and we've been reading his books for 30 years. And he came out with a, with a, a, a statement, and this is, I actually had to catch myself. I went and looked it up. This is from 1999. So this is 24 years ago. I found this data. I should have found something more modern because the numbers are worse today. In 1999, they did a nationwide survey. 72% of Americans claim they have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is important in their life, 72%. Half, nearly half of the adult population in America attends religious services during a typical week. That's lower now, by the way. It's lower. It's about 40%, often hovers around 39 and their bond to the local church is tenuous. Fewer, get this, fewer than one out of every five adults, okay, less than 20% believes that a congregational church, being part of a congregation, is a critical element in their spiritual growth. Now, that's fascinating. That's very interesting when you stop to think about it. And I can give you a whole bunch of data. It would just depress you. I'm afraid I got the first service quite depressed. Um, I mean, it's really interesting. Now, people who have an, a biblical worldview, they think it's a little more important. And so often I'm speaking to the choir. I mean, you're here. Being part of a church, you, you're here. But maybe you're watching online, or maybe you're here under duress. I don't know. And, and you're wondering, what's this church thing? This is dumb. Why do we need it? Why is it important? And it's so interesting because American culture is very much about me and Jesus. That's very American of us. Um, I have individual liberties. I have individual rights. I am the individual is a very significant thing. That's rare in the Bible, by the way, that concept. In the Bible, it's about the family of God. It's about the community of faith. It's really interesting. It is very rare. You know, we're very private. We're very cautious. It's very interesting because the Bible is all about, here's my cards. Lay them all out. We're the family together. And sometimes it's a hot mess, but it's us. So it, this is an interesting thing because George Barna in church says what he discovered is that uh, being part of a church family is continuing to just decline in significance and importance, that people don't think it's important. Now, here, let me read this to you. Here's what, this is George Barna. This is not me talking. He concludes from this, again, 24 years ago, these figures emphasize how soft people's commitment to God is. Americans are willing to expend some energy in religious activities, such as attending church, reading the Bible, and they're willing to throw some money in the offering basket. Because of such activities, they convince themselves they are people of genuine faith. But when it comes time to truly establish their priorities and making a tangible commitment to knowing and loving God, and to allow Him to change their character and lifestyle, most people stop short. We want to be, quote, spiritual, and we want to have God's favor, but we're not sure we want Him taking control of our lives. 
and messing with the image and outcomes we've worked so hard to produce. Woof. Woof. Barna went on to say, it's obvious that most Christians in the U.S. do not see much value in a communal faith experience. Even though the Bible is unambiguous about the importance of experiencing God through a shared faith journey, and Jesus' example leaves no room for doubt about the significance and involvement in a faith community, Americans remain unconvinced of the necessity of the collective faith experience. Here's what's, why am I talking about this? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm talking about that word devotion. It's interesting. It's a big, long Greek word. And it can mean commitment. It can mean walk beside. It can mean be arm in arm with, step by step with, you know, in union with. It's that kind of thing. That idea of devotion. It's a hard concept for us today. Devotion. I think if we do devotion, we might be devoted to our families. That's the one that still trumps things, right? Except when we're not. But, you know, um, but that's kind of the one I think that most, most people say, yeah, that's where I'm really committed. But the church experience, the congregational experience is not significant. And the Bible would, would just, I mean, God's Word just goes, what? This is how I designed you. I designed you this way. Now, let me be, and I love just playing with cards up. We, the church sometimes is our own worst enemy. Uh, here's the note I wrote on this when I read this earlier in the week. These, this was my note at the end of that comment. I said, however, <clears throat> for this to happen, it calls for a community that truly acts like Christ's community, like Christ's family, a family that reflects his gifts and his character and his presence. That was my own note. And I think, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I don't do as good a job. Sometimes we don't. You know, I mean, sometimes we, you know what I mean? It takes something. It takes a thing. That devotion, that investment, that patience, that dad. <laughs> now, Billy, it'll be okay. Um, hanging in there, hanging in there, hanging in there. This word commitment, dads, on this day, let me just say, for those dads who have hung in there with your wives and families, I mean, I don't know why we're praising this. Duh. Thank you for doing it, I guess we should say. But here's the deal. That you hang in there, that you do, the data is unbelievable on how impactful it is. Moms, you are the foundation of every family. God has gifted you with the miracle, with that miracle. God bless. And there's a reason why moms get more kudos. Dads, hang in there, man. Hang in there. Because it makes a difference. It is a huge difference. It's a huge difference. When dads are present, the data is incontrovertible. If I started sharing it with you, I might get banned off of YouTube or whatever. But it's stunning on how much a dad's commitment to... Like you know this phrase. I tell this to every couple I counsel. Uh, premarital stuff. The best way to love your kids is to love their mom. Love her to death love her completely so that you can see what that looks like and be there and be present and be committed. Anyway, so we can give you all this data of commitment. We need to do a better job as a church too, as the family. We need to also. It's experience the presence of Christ. So I'm not saying, it's, I don't want you to see me up here like wagging my finger at anybody. That's not what I'm doing. 
I'm saying in a culture which struggles with commitment, sometimes there's reasons why they struggle. On the other hand, I heard, Elaine, I'm going to call you out. Thanks for that link to Tim Keller's sermon. Teresa and I listened to it on the, we drove back from Coeur d'Alene yesterday, and I had to listen to a big chunk of it twice. It was really good, and I'm going to give you a point from it. He was doing a sermon on, Tim Keller recently passed away. He was a gift to the church in many ways. He's a human being, redeemed sinner, just like the rest of us, but really had a neat way of, of teaching. Uh, he was in Manhattan, grew a church from nothing in Manhattan. Amazing. Anyway, he just recently passed from cancer. But Elaine shared one of his sermons with me on 1 Samuel chapter 4 and 5. It's crazy, 1 Samuel 4. Anyway, the Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant, the, the Ark, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? They had the Ark. And historically, when the Ark showed up, they kicked behind, right? They kicked everybody's rear end, and they won. They would win massive battles because the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, was with them and enabled them to beat them. Well, the Ark had fallen into disuse, and it was kind of abandoned and so forth. Well, and so here come the Philistines, right? Remember Goliath, the giant dude that David gets with a slingshot? So the Philistines, he's from that group. So the Philistines are fighting them, big fights, and they're going, and uh, so they say, hey, you know what we'll do? We'll go grab the Ark of the Covenant, and we'll bring it out, and we'll win. And so they grab the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it out, and they lose. Bad. So bad that the Philistines capture the ark and they put it in their temple for their god, Dagon. It's a, it's a longer story. I want to give you a point on this. You see what the Israelites did? And they were dumbfounded. And why? And I love how Tim Keller said this. They had become pagans. You see, pagans created gods to serve them at their benefit, at their need. So they would create a god, right? We have drought, we'll create a, a, a rain god. We need a crop, we'll have a fertility god. Or babies, we'll have a fertility goddess. We need a crop, we'll have a corn god. We need, right? And on and on. That's why the people couldn't understand the Israelites, these dumb people with the one god. Well, what does he do? He, everything. Well, that's not cool, right? And so they put the Ark of the Covenant in, in, with, their, in with their god. They lost. And it was because the Israelites had turned into their neighbors. They, and, and I say it this way. As I was listening, I said to Teresa, I said, I've preached this many times. He called them, they became pagans. I say they became consumers. Just shoppers. Right? When you're a shopper, you go and you buy what you want. I'm, I'm going into the store to find what I want. Well, that's pagan. Because it's not about, what, how did I write it here? I got to look at my notes crazy. Oh, yeah. Not consumers, but our condition. Here's the thing. In other words, what they had become, they had, not, they had lost their devotion to God. They had simply become consumers, or like their neighbors, pagan. They went to God when they wanted something. It wasn't their condition. It wasn't their member, that I'm a member of God's family. I'm a child of God. That I live in this relationship. I live in this community. It was simply, I got a need. I'm going to go get me some. And God does not respond to that. God is not a product to be bought or sold 
or simply the vending machine in the sky. And so here's point number one, devotion. Point number one, Deuteronomy, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We know those. We know that. And then we know the great Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. We know those. But you know what's interesting? The verses that lead up to it, why did God do it? Because he loved them so much. These commands I give to you, because I'm going to give you this rich land. And I'm, you're going to be my children. I'm gonna, these are my, this is the way I'm loving you, by giving you these commands. In our culture today, God's commands, he must hate us. That's the response. He must hate us. He's raining on our parade. He won't let me do whatever pops into my stupid, broken, sinful mind. God won't let me do whatever I can imagine. God says, I have a way. And so it's rather than finding God. So the Christian community was marked by devotion, commitment. Here's the thing. Now, here's the point. Rather than you feel like I'm hammering on you, I don't want want you to feel that way because here's the point. Here's the point. If you want to be devoted to God, if this is the mark of our community, if you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, and this is a mark of it to be devoted, it all begins with His devotion to you. How completely and fully and in every way was God devoted to you? Here's my point. Consumers go and get something because we have money in our pocket and we can pay for it. God acted before you could pay for it. You can never pay for it. You don't got enough to pay for it. You insult him by trying. So knock it off. He's already devoted to you. He has already claimed you as his own. He has already walked along that little trash heap and picked up that little black heart of mine and took it home with him and made it his very own. Thanks be to God. That's the devotion that marked the early community because they recognize God's complete devotion to them. Remember what Peter said? You crucified the Lord of glory. I did too. Peter's going, I denied even knowing him. We killed him. And God still raised him from the dead. And God still sent his Holy Spirit. And God still called us into relationship with him. That's the devotion because of his devotion to us. Our devotion is just a reflection, a small one, a dim one, a shadowy one. But it's a reflection of his great devotion to us. So our devotion arises out of his devotion to us. Not consuming, not paying for, but it's our condition. Because his is the only unconditional commitment which has been made to humanity. The only one. Okay, here's an old joke. Point number two. How am I doing? Ooh, we might get done early. Stunning. Point number two. It's an old joke. Forgive me. I have a reason to tell it, so you can just kind of eh, nod along. Remember the old joke? A guy, flood's coming. And the guy's, I'm going to pray for salvation. God will save me from the flood. And the flood starts to get in the first floor. And so he goes up to the second floor. He gets a phone call. Come on, what are you doing? Come on, you can get out now. There's a way out the back door. No, God's going to save me. I've been praying. So he's up on the second floor. He's praying. Water's rising. Gets up on the roof. Here comes a canoe. Hey, get in the canoe. I'll save you. I'll take you to dry land. Nope, I'm praying. I'm praying for God to save me. God's going to save me. Okay, motorboat comes along. I'm praying for God to save me, right? And the third one, helicopter, right? And here comes the ladder down. I'm praying for God to save me. Nope, you go away. God will save me. And he drowns. Goes to heaven. God says, what were you doing? I sent you a phone call, a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. Right? That's the, that's the story. Where were you, God? I sent those to you. 
You know what's missing in that story? I've heard that joke, I bet, a hundred times. It's not even funny. But anyway, um, but, I, uh, but I've heard that story told a hundred times. You know what's missing? Why didn't the guy say, who sent you? I mean, I don't know. He could have asked him a whole bunch of things. Show me your license for that boat. Show me that you know how to operate it. Show me that you have rescued other people in the past. What's your, in other words, what's your authority to come and do this to me? So here, look at this. He never asked the question. He drowns. What an idiot. So the thing is, they have devotion because of God's devotion to them, but they have devotion to what? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is a significant acknowledgement. It doesn't say Peter's, Paul's. It says apostles, because it was not in their own authority that they spoke. Apostle means sent one. Who were they sent by? Jesus Christ. That's a unique office in the New Testament. They were sent by Jesus Christ. Even Paul, remember, catches him on the road. What are you doing? Knock it off. And Jesus sends him. Even Paul says it. I'm the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am. I've been sent by God with his message. Therefore, what I taught to you was taught to me. I'm passing it on to you as of first importance. Did you catch it in there? Didn't it sound like the Apostles' Creed, what Wendy was reading? Didn't that sound like that? We have elements of the Creed all the way back in before 60 AD. So we know that Christians were saying those creedal statements together to encourage one another. Are those exact phrases in the Scriptures? No, but Scripture revealed and taught it. Christ had taught it to them in his life, his death, and his resurrection, they were confessing that which they had been taught, that which Christ had commanded them to tell. And so they were devoted, their devotion arose out of God's devotion to them, but they were, what were they devoted to? So when the canoe come by, you say, who sent you? An apostle sent me. Okay, what do you got to say? Because it's about who's being taught and what have they done. And that's what Paul is saying. We passed on to you what was passed on to us as of first importance. Jesus Christ died for our sins. God raised him on the third day. And so that's the who and the what because that's the devotion and it is the teaching, the didache. This Greek word is an interesting one. Sorry, I'm throwing it in for fun. I'm trying to impress you. No, not actually. Didache is, comes from the second century. It's about 110, 120 A.D. And all the way back then they said, this is what you need to know. This is what the apostles taught about who Jesus is, what he did, that he rose, that he was God in the flesh. This is what you need to know about baptism, repentance, forgiveness, and so forth. The didache. We would call it a catechism today in Lutheran church. We'd call it a catechism. But it was the teaching, and it's whose teaching will you take. It's not just anyone's teaching. Someone comes to save, say, show me your credentials. And that's what the apostles did. We preach not ourselves, but Christ crucified. And so when we, when we begin this process, when, as we look through this in the early church, we see that they had great devotion because Christ was devoted to them. And we see that they were fully committed 
to the teaching, hungry, hungry for that teaching because it spoke with authority in their life. It had been given by Christ in order to be given to them. Why? I'm going to finish with a story. And I love this one. This, and actually, boy, this will really date me. The movie Dr. Zhivago. Anyone? We got a couple? Okay, cool. It's a tearjerker. It's pretty awesome. It takes place in the Russian Revolution. So here's a great little story from there, and I had forgotten this. The comrade general is talking with Tanya, a little girl. He asks her, how did you come to be lost? And, And this story to me encapsulates this. I think it's cool for Father's Day, but it's also why they're devoted and what they're devoted to, the early Christians. He asked Tanya, how did you come to be lost? She replies, well, I was just lost. He asks again, no, how did you come to be lost? Tanya doesn't want to say. She says simply, I was just lost. My father and I were running through the city, and it was on fire. The revolution had come, and we were trying to escape, and I was lost. The comrade general asks more emphatically, how did you come to be lost? She still didn't want to say. Finally, she does say, we were running through the city, and my father let go of my hand, and I was lost. Then she added, plaintively, he let go. This is what she didn't want to say. The comrade general said, this is what I'm trying to tell you, Tanya. Komarov was not your real father. Zhivago is your real father. And I can promise you, Tanya, that if this man had been there, your real father, he would never have let go of your hand. The Christian community lives like that knowing God will never let go of our hand. Devoted, committed, always present, keeping His promises, full of love. Praise God for dads. Praise God for our Heavenly Father. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.